Welcome to the AM Coffee Podcast, where we talk to fascinating people whose stories you won't hear on the evening news. Now, here's your host, Mike Summers. I normally start off with a question, and most of us fit into two different categories. I guess this isn't really a question, but uh, ones who are kind of born lucky, maybe you have uh, family members that are rich or, or just fantastic parents, but most of us fall in the second category where we're kind of like we have to make our own luck. And, you know, it's normally through grit, determination, and, and fueled by our own desires and our own uh, dreams. Um, and we're going to talk today about a story about somebody that that had to do just that. Um, but first of all, we're, we're going to uh, introduce our guest today. It's uh, Melissa Guzetta. How are you today? Good. Thank you yeah. for having me. She owns a computer company. She's owned it since uh, 97, correct? Is it 97? No, no, uh, yeah, 98, I think, actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it's been so long ago. Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> she owns a computer company called The Computer Tutor. Her website is computertutornews.com. It's and actually computertutortraining.com. Computer oh, is it really? Training.com. Oh, yeah. well. I well, because I have a new website and it um, anyway, so it, it doesn't use that computer tutor news anymore. So, oh, I yeah. see. okay. Well, we'll go over that again at the end. Don't let me forget. Um, <laughs> okay. But she offers computer uh, employee training, uh, executive training on Microsoft, all that stuff. Uh, and even the basics, if, if you're new to computing, if you're new to the internet, she will uh, take you through all the, the basic steps. And I think most everything is virtual right now, right? It's, yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. Unfortunately, there's no one-on-one -on -one like she uh, she used to do. And yeah. maybe after the first of the year, things get better. Who knows? But uh, but that's not what we're here to talk about today. We're going to talk to her about her book. She wrote a book. Uh, when was that? 2014? 15. 2015. 15. And uh, her book is called Private Lucky. Great title. Great title. Tell us, uh, tell us a little about that title and, and what it's about. Okay, Private Lucky is the <laughs> true story of a friend of mine, Hank Gillibard. And uh, so <laughs> we had heard, um, by we, I mean my, um, my late uh, partner, Dave Morton. Um, it, he worked with the guy's wife, whose name is Lola, and she's amazing herself. Yeah. And um, Lola would tell us about, you know, how Hank had this interesting story, but that was all it was to us at first, the just these rumors that he had this interesting life. And uh, one day we offered to videotape him telling his story for his family. And that's when we started actually hearing his story. And we were amazed. I mean, it was jaw dropping. <laughs> we were like, wow, this like needs to be a movie. Have you ever thought about writing your story and he said well I can't write <laughs> and I said why don't you let me try it then and uh, that that's how it all got started and uh, I said I'll try writing this book for you I hadn't written a book before other than training materials which is totally different I would imagine and uh, so I I and it took me a while it took me a number of years to finally get through it because of course I'm still working and you know and just trying to write in between and uh, you know getting feedback on my writing and all that kind of stuff and I just kept crafting it and crafting it I wanted it to be um, worthy of public consumption I wanted people to really enjoy the story the way we had and so uh, I finally got it out and uh, and it's gotten a lot of great reviews and I've been happy about that 
That's awesome. That, that, I hadn't uh, I hadn't read any reviews. Actually, I did read a couple on on your Facebook page on the Private Lucky Facebook page. And that's, oh those, yeah, yeah. There's there's a lot to glean from that too. It's really really good stuff. Um, yeah. So what what is this story? I mean, he's he's uh, from the era of World War II. I mean, right. Um, so yeah. what, uh, tell us through some of his early years. What, what was well, his... so the really interesting uh, twist in his story. It's right from birth. It's it, it, there's a twist going on in there because his family was from Holland, but they were living in Detroit when he was born. So they had his family had come over to the U.S. and they were living in the Detroit area. Uh, Hank was born in Detroit, therefore he's American. But he was only two years old when the family moved back to Holland. So he grew up in Holland. So culturally and everything, he was Dutch. Language-wise. Yeah, and language-wise and everything. And uh, grew up there in Europe. And uh, then, you know, just in time for World War II and the Nazi occupation of Holland uh, is when, as he was going into his teen years. And so uh, then he starts... You, you would think because he was not Jewish, you would think that, I mean, everybody, it was horrible for everybody at the time, of course, yeah. but you would think that the fact that he wasn't Jewish would make it slightly less horrible, right? You would think. You would think. But uh, as it turns out, because he was born in the U.S., he was circumcised. And if you were circumcised, you were presumed to be Jewish. And so he keeps getting in trouble with, uh, <laughs> he like, basically schoolmates would turn him in because they would get rewarded for turning in schoolmates and things like that, you know, as being Jewish. And so a couple of times, once he almost got hauled off to a concentration camp and, uh, and then he had other troubles where people would ask him about it. And he, uh, you know, and so he kept having trouble. So his father took him out of one school, put him in another school. And uh, but he continued to have problems. Plus, on top of that, it was, uh, you know, a rule that uh, 16 year old boys had to report to work for Germany. And not only did he not want to do that, but obviously with a circumcision, that wasn't going to work for him. So uh, his father said, you're going to have to go into hiding, son. And uh, he was the only one in this family that had to go into hiding. And he was in hiding from age 16 to 18. uh, And it was obviously... Uh, managed by the resistance because he would, even though he at tell he would tell me that he didn't know that for sure, but it, to me it's pretty obvious because he was moved around a lot, and people from the resistance would come give them warnings occasionally if they had information, you know, or or sometimes provide a little bit of food or food rations and that kind of thing, and uh, uh, so it kind of tells me that it his being in hiding was he had to move around a lot during the time he was in hiding and he got moved from city to city he had to go by a different name in each place uh so yeah 16 to 18 can you imagine what you were doing age 16 to 18 i was having a lot of fun Uh, yeah i was too (laughs) and i don't think other guys were checking to see whether i was circumcised either that's kind of weird I know it's very weird, and they checked. Yeah, yeah. that's just so weird. Yeah, and the time that he uh, got nearly got hauled off to a well, he actually did get hauled off, but he did. He only got 
uh, as far as this area where they were detained and they were going to be put on a train to go to a concentration camp when he got rescued from a family friend. Uh, but he actually had to go to the principal's office and what they demanded that he pull down his pants. Mm-mm-mm. Yeah. Goodness anyway. gracious. It, yeah. It's such, such a, it seems like hundreds of years ago, but it, it really, it was yeah. years ago. Yeah. 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 Incredible. I know it's crazy. Yeah. And so so we wanted to get his story. You know, I, I believe in general that these stories from world war II are really important. And of course, so many of those uh, veterans are dying now and people from that era who were actually witness to the things that happened, uh, especially in Nazi occupied countries. And, uh, I I just felt like it was important to get his story. And then the other thing about this story, though, that also makes it unique is that it's not just a World War II story. That's like just the first third of the book, because the rest of it are his crazy adventures of trying to become a pilot, Uh, because he's like one of these people from the time he was a little kid. He knew what he wanted to do. He wanted to become a pilot. And there was just nothing that was going to stop him from becoming a pilot. But all this stuff kept getting in the way, like having to hide from Nazis and so on. And uh, and his uh, education got interrupted as well as part of that, right? Because he had to leave school to go and into hiding. Around. And yeah. uh, so he never got a real uh, diploma. He ended up getting a diploma, but it wasn't really a real one. <laughs> <laughs> of a real one but not really this is part of making your own luck here right right yeah Yeah. and uh that kind of thing so um uh so then uh i mean and obviously he he survives the war and and comes back from hiding and there's a lot of great stories in there on how he got a diploma and uh and some just like a lot of stories about what he experienced being in hiding and and then there's a story that oh there's a story about a teacher of his that uh he had a contentious relationship with that is just (laughs) so that's like the story that when i read it still i cry when i read it oh no it's yeah and uh and he cried when i read it to him uh yeah it was an amazing uh story about him helping out this teacher but uh anyway he survives the war and all and ends up his father gets him into the american army right after the war ends so in that way he was lucky right to have been in the army during the war would have been probably kind of deadly sure sure (laughs) and uh so uh right after the war like 1945 wasn't even over with yet by the when he was in the army so uh, the war ended in may 1945 at least uh, for holland for yeah and um and he was by December, he was uh, in the army. So he's still considered a World War II veteran. So I think. Oh, because um, it was still going on in the Pacific. Yeah. yeah yes. I get it. I get and it. Uh, so he served in the American zone in Germany. So again, he's not in the US. He's in the American army, but he's in Germany. And so he's. <laughs> <laughs> but he can speak German. And so actually, some of the guys really appreciated that because then he could 
talk with the girls and uh, that kind of thing. So <laughs> now he so, was in the American army, but he didn't speak English. Is that And correct? he didn't speak English. Right. Mm-hmm. And so this causes a lot of funny and it becomes hilarious because he, he just uh, keeps like right off the bat when he arrives at boot camp, uh, there's this who's on first kind of exchange almost <laughs> with the uh, drill sergeant. And uh, it's, it, you know, and it's because his father had sort of drilled into Hank how to say his name to, uh, you know, to somebody and spell it out. And he kept trying to do that. And there was this misunderstanding with this sergeant and it just goes back and forth. And it's so funny. Yeah, it's hilarious. <laughs> well, you know, he it's obviously a charmed life so far, even even up to that point. Like you said, he joins us right at the end of all the all the stuff going on in Europe. So yeah, right. Wow. And uh, but he's real, really uh, frustrated because his hope was that he was going to learn how to fly once he went into the army. And now the Dutch army had called him, and. He was Mm -hmm. fine with that because, again, he wanted to fly. So he thought, great, the Dutch army will teach me to fly. But the now Holland was still involved in a conflict with Indonesia, right? They had like colonies in in the Indonesian area. I was not aware of that. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so there was there was he would have probably had to serve there. And his father had dreams of going back to the U.S. someday. So he really wanted to nurture that U.S. citizenship that he had in his household and so so he said no 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 son you're not going to the uh, dutch army you know we're going to get you in the american army so he took him down there and as a matter of fact even to take the test to get into the army that like he had to take a test well you know he didn't speak english so so he was having trouble with that he could do the math portion so he did the math portion without any problem tried to turn that in and the guy said you didn't answer all the rest of the questions and so they had to find somebody in there who could t- uh, speak either Dutch or Flemish or German because he could speak all three of those languages. Oh, my gosh. They found someone who spoke Flemish. <laughs> and so that lady helped interpret the questions. And uh, then, boom, he was in the Army. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, so he, was, uh, he was enlisted at that point. And I think you have to be an officer. At least back when I was in, you had to be an officer in order to fly. How did that work? Well, unfortunately, they stopped pilot training as soon as the war was over. (sighs) So he (laughs) was frustrated once again. uh, And he, I mean, so mad that he almost went AWOL. He was just like ready to walk off base and said, I want to become a pilot. (laughs) And uh, especially because after boot camp, Um, that was when he was hoping he would get assigned to an air base. And so he got through boot camp. Okay. And it was after that, when they put out the assignments and they tried to, uh, assign him to a guard group and and having nothing to do with flying. And he got very angry (laughs) and he tried to storm off. And, uh, so he ended up getting thrown in the brig for that. And, uh, this Lieutenant who apparently you could tell Lieutenant kind of thought highly of him, but still had to act like a Lieutenant. And, uh, he was like, Hank, what are you doing? You know, (laughs) this is ridiculous. (laughs) And, uh, and Hank has just said, I was told I was going to be able to fly. And they told, that was when they broke the news to him that we don't do pilot training anymore. The war is over. And uh, we have 
other stuff that we're doing. And uh, so the best he was able to get was to be assigned to an air base. So he ends up on an air base at least. So he's around planes and he gets assigned to be a, a, a mechanic on the planes. Oh, well, at least he's close. They're in Germany or was he? Uh, did yeah, he, in did, Germany. Okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. So he still hasn't been to the U.S. at that yeah. point, right? He's yeah. still there in Europe. And uh, yeah, he doesn't go to the U.S. until after three years of Army service. And did he get out? And that's when he went to the Yeah, to the US? that was when he went to the U.S. for the first time as an adult. Yeah. Uh-huh. Now, he ended up in, was it New York City to begin with? Yes. So he had an Army buddy, Ira, who... Um, had told him, if you ever come to the U.S. and you come to New York, please look me up. Uh, you know, we, yeah, but people were, just say that they don't really mean that. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I think he really did. They were really good buddies. Yeah. And so he did. He, he looked them up and that was the first place that he had to stay uh, when he was in New York. And he started helping out. His, uh, Ira's family had a kosher food business and they would deliver food to, I think, like um kosher restaurants and stuff and so he would deliver food for them and uh that kind of thing and so that at that point and then he's his first job is so funny because he had ira's uncle or some or cousin or something came over one day wearing this tie that was hand painted and Hank just thought, it was, and apparently there was a the sort of a thing back then for these hand painted ties. They were mm. sort of a big thing, I guess. And uh, he thought the tie was beautiful. And Hank thought, um, hey, I could do these hand painted ties. He had a little bit of an artistic flair too. He could do and what? So, could he? What couldn't he do? So what I'm, what right. Couldn't. Oh, I have a list. I have like this his resume <laughs> of all these things that he did. It's crazy. And it's so different, everything. And uh, anyway, he uh, set, he set about trying to paint Vargas girls on these ties. Now, Vargas girls were sort of like pinup girls. Oh, I see. Uh, and so by the, in particular from this artist whose last name was Vargas. Okay. And uh, he uh, developed a technique for doing it where um, it was sort of pre-drawn on there with a very light powder that people couldn't see because he did it ahead of time. And then the tie store that hired him wanted to do the tie painting in the window of the store wearing a beret and having a little like a Van Dyke kind of (laughs) facial hair. So he was known as the European tie artist. Well, he ended up making a lot of good money at that. And so he was painting these ties and uh, made some good money and was saving up to buy a car when one day he was doing the kosher food delivery and he was on a bus and saw an airplane for sale uh, at the edge of an airport. And he jumps up and he tells the bus driver, stop, I want to get off here. <laughs> and apparently they would do that back then. <laughs> so he got off the bus at the airport, went and asked the guy about the plane and he ends up buying the plane. He has no pilot's license. 
He has very limited experience flying. And I say limited because when he was on the air base, he would get the pilots to take him up. And so he was went up as a passenger and they would sometimes let him take the controls (laughs) for a short time. And they would show him a few things. But that was it. That was uh, all the training he had. So that's when the flying and crashing adventures begin. Crashing. Oh, yes. Yes. He's has uh, <laughs> several crashes. <laughs> he has more than one crash. And uh, one of them was just really you could describe more as a hard landing. Uh, so he his plane actually was still OK after that. Uh, but that was when. Oh, my God. That one. That story is so hilarious. <laughs> so what about Texas? It's no, it's the one yeah. through the barn. It's, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he, uh, his, well, because they're on their way to Texas. So yeah. he tells his friend, uh, he's wanting to fly the plane more. And he, uh, his friend said, Well, I've been wanting to go visit my family in Texas. So he says, Okay, let's fly to Texas. <laughs> and so <laughs> they get in his plane. And first of all, after he fills it up at a, um, he does a refill of fuel at a an airport in Ohio called Putin Bay, which is like a island, and you know, and it's there's water around the airport, and uh, so when he filled up the plane, it was heavy with fuel, and apparently it's not a really long runway, so they're taking off and they're at getting to the end of the runway and they're still not real off the ground and they're coming up on the water and the plane is just not lifting and so he just kind of thought okay i just got to give it all it's got and you know and he kept just going and his friend is freaking out his friend is like oh my god (laughs) this is it i'm dying today yeah he's looking at hank like is this normal (laughs) and uh anyway so they come out over the end of the um of the runway over the water and he he's just barely like over the water and eventually very slowly the plane is going up and uh that was when he figured out that was one of the things about that plane is that it was not a really powerful engine for how heavy the plane was and so he kind of figured that out (laughs) at that point (laughs) so and at this point he still doesn't have a license correct no he doesn't have a license and uh and he's never really gotten formal training so he it it, as they continued to texas it's overcast and he doesn't know how to deal with overcast i mean the way he navigated was road maps and looking at the streets down below and so so they get over pennsylvania and the the overcast has at that point become even worse and so now he's beginning to have trouble and he's starting to kind of lose his you know which ways up and down kind of sense and uh you know that you would need instrument you know level training for and which he didn't have so he ends up (laughs) overcorrecting and like pulling up which then put him into a dive they were basically in a spot a dive down and i mean it was like his friend was again freaking out (laughs) (laughs) and stuff went flying around the cabin and uh he managed to land it in this valley in pennsylvania it was a hard landing but the plane was okay and uh 
until these farmers come running up and they're in, they're Amish people. Oh no. And they come running up and they're like, are you okay? Are you okay? And he couldn't believe it because they were speaking German. German. <laughs> of course they were. And uh, so he, they were, he couldn't believe that he lands in a place where people are speaking German <laughs> in the U.S. And he's like, I'm Dutch. <laughs> and they go, we're Pennsylvania Dutch. And he, he you know, they seemed to think that they were speaking Dutch. And he's like, no, you're speaking German, <laughs> which was true. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. Uh, they were disagreeing with him. And so he didn't argue with them. He's like, okay. And, you know, it's, <laughs> but anyway, that's when they end up helping him have to get out of that valley because, again, the heaviness of the plane was going to be a problem trying to get it out of that narrow valley. Sure. And, uh, so that's. You know, the the, the uh, Pennsylvania Dutch is a common misperception, I think, because I remember my father saying that his, my, my grandmother on his side said that she was Pennsylvania Dutch and that, you know, but it was German that she, he, she spoke and he was like, oh, I don't know. How, but, you know, come to find out, of course, Pennsylvania Dutch is Deutsch, Deutsch which is yeah. German. Yeah. It's, so, yeah. It, 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 us silly Americans, we get things screwed up so bad. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so how did he get out of the van? What uh, I don't want to give away everything, but you know, I know it's so, yeah. Well, you know, there the only way he was trying to figure out how am I going to get this plane out of this valley because he had limited space to take off. And um, so the farmers were really nice, they put him up for a couple of nights as he tried to work it out. Um, And so, what they ended up figuring out was the only way to get speed up enough speed to get possibly up and out of the valley was to have to go through this barn that was right in the middle of the valley and yeah yeah. and uh so he asked the farmers real nicely would you mind like cutting the doors bigger so i could go through the barn and so on top of that they uh he removed the passenger seat so he had his friend uh actually uh, get taken somebody gave him a ride to a nearby airport uh take the passenger seat out and the uh, passenger and uh, the luggage and he also after getting the plane started removed the battery that's what he said he said i guess he didn't really need the battery once it got started well it's like a car same way because you have an alternator Yeah. yeah yeah and so uh so that really lightened up the weight on the plane and so he he gave it one try and he chickened out so he didn't go through the barn that first time he turned around then to try again he went back as far back as he could go and all these Amish people were yay it was like a show everybody like an air show everybody was there to watch most excitement they've had in decades probably yes so so then he takes off again goes through the barn comes out the other side and he just barely cleared the hills on the other side and uh, met his friend at the nearby airport and uh, so it was where they put the plane back together again and uh, <laughs> continued on the way to Texas. But uh, yeah, there would be a problem again in Texas, though. So, 
So, yeah. It, it, yeah, so he moves around quite a bit in the U.S. here, right? I mean, he ends yeah. up in Texas and um, yeah. whatever whatever you, stories you want to tell. These are fascinating stories. I, I love uh, – yeah, I wish I could have met this guy. It sounds like he just – he is. <laughs> he was quite a character. Yeah, yeah, he was quite a character. And uh, I'm really surprised that nobody uh, decided to document his story before because just story after story was just – I mean, none of the stories are normal stories. They're all like crazy stories. And, um, you know, just how he gets through everything is just amazing. And how it's not until he comes to California that he actually gets a pilot's license. He didn't know he needed one. So oh, that was part of the ignorance problem. of bliss, you know. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's, that's <laughs> so, beautiful. Yeah. So what's he, what's he uh, end up doing in California? Well, it's even funny how he gets to California. How he oh, gets okay. to California is hilarious because he wasn't headed to California. <laughs> he almost ends up there accidentally. So he uh, he ends up pl- uh, crashing his plane in Texas. <laughs> and uh, But he was okay. and uh, But his plane was not. So And he couldn't yeah. afford to fix the plane. So he... Um, so he starts working in Texas and it's Lubbock, Texas. Here is this European guy in Lubbock, Texas, <laughs> which he thought was very, you know, interesting. It's kind of, again, learning, you know, through the army and through this traveling through the U.S., he's sort of learning to become American. That's the way I look at it, you know, is he's, he's learning what America is about. And, uh, because he is an American, but he's sure. not a practiced American, well, right? But the, <laughs> and, yeah, and the differences between people he knew in New York City and the people in Lubbock, Texas, had to be yes, opposite so sides different. of the spectrum. Yeah. Right, yeah. And uh, he talks about all the churches he saw in just about every corner, his first church of that, first church of that, mm-hmm. and uh, that kind of thing, and how he was advised to go to a church, pick a church, go to the church, and that's how you meet girls. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> that may be still true, true, true today, you know. <laughs> right. So, uh, so he hangs around there for a while, and gets a, a drafting job. So he was a draftsman. I don't remember if I put that on that list uh, for a little bit, and uh, and where he meets a guy who uh, just keeps talking about Hollywood. This guy wants to go to Hollywood and become a star, and uh, that's all the guy talks about. So. You know, <laughs> Hank just listened to his stories or whatever. So then Hank finally decides he's got to leave Texas. So he, it was very common back then to just hitchhike. If you didn't have a car or anything, you would sure. just hitchhike. And so he would, he wanted to hitchhike all the way back to New York. Well, he hitchhikes <laughs> to um, as far as Amarillo. So I think that's where Route 66 goes through. That's up in the and, panhandle. Yeah. And he tries to, uh, hitchhike towards new york well he's standing out there for hours trying to hitchhike and nobody's picking him up and uh you know the sun's beating down on him he's getting sunburn he's sweating and across the street going in the other direction one guy after another is getting picked up just like that going west and he's watching this going like, what? what's so good about that side? Why can't I get a ride going in this direction? Well, let's go but see. he keeps trying a little longer. And then he finally gives up and he goes to hell. He goes, I just don't really have anything going on necessarily in New York. I'm going to try the other side. So he goes to the other side of the street, puts <laughs> his thumb in the other direction. And in no time, within a few minutes, he gets picked up by a guy and... He's on his way to California. <laughs> so he's not with his friend that wants to go to Hollywood at all. He just, he, okay. <laughs> no, uh-uh. but 
he ends up sleeping on the couch of the guy who wanted to go to Hollywood. And uh, when he gets to California, not, oh, really? not right off the bat, he sleeps in a theater the first couple of nights because you could just like hang out in a movie theater overnight and sleep. Oh, and apparently God. a lot of guys did that. And uh, so it, it wasn't until a little bit later on that I think he called his place where he had worked in Texas and they told him, hey, you know, um, I can't remember the guy's name right now. Uh, He's he's in Hollywood. You should look him up. So he eventually hooks up with a guy and sleeps on his couch. Oh <laughs> yeah. So he just falls in it all the time. It's just, he does. Yeah. And that's when he uh, figures out that um, he can use the GI Bill to get his pilot's license. So he starts taking lessons at the Culver City Airport, which doesn't exist anymore, but. Uh, at the time it was there and so he's taking lessons with this guy and the guy's like hey you do pretty well it seemed like you act like you have flown before, done this before <laughs> yeah hank is like yeah <laughs> it doesn't mention that he uh <laughs> that he flew through he like you know took I'm off a world war ii veteran yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, so so he finally gets his license. So, but that's not what he does for a living, though, is it? Or or is it part of what he does? Uh, well, he's as much as he can. So, so what he does at first is he needs more jobs to support being able to fly, and uh, so he gets these odd jobs and stuff. Like, for example, he becomes a dance instructor, and uh, <laughs> he, he used his really not exactly real diploma from high school which is in dutch and he shows that at fred murray dance studio and tells them it says <laughs> superior <laughs> dancing knowledge or something like that <laughs> hey if they can't read it just read it for them right. and so he gets a job teaching the jitterbug at, at arthur murray but okay so how he knew how to dance though is because once he had gotten his own place in california his neighbor was gwen um Verdon, Gwen Verdon, who is a famous dancer. I mean, okay. like she did movies and everything. And she later married um, the guy who did uh, jazz, the jazz hands guy. Uh, oh my goodness, I'm forgetting his name right now. Uh, having a senior moment. But anyway, he's a famous <laughs> jazz dancer and choreographer. And uh, anyway, she was a famous dancer and was his neighbor. And she uh, had already met this guy. And so she was semi-famous. But <laughs> anyway, she taught him, ha Hank, how to dance. And uh, so <laughs> he loved Anybody dancing. into anything, right? Yeah, yeah. So that, that one was a crazy little thing, too. Just little details like that that just make it so funny i mean i i wouldn't be surprised if you told me he was you know teaching engineering at uh at caltech or something later on i mean <laughs> it just seems like he does everything right yes and he did also get a job as an engineer as a junior engineer at northrop i think it was uh even though he was not an engineer so he was kind of being a little con man there but so what he would do is because he didn't really know how to be an engineer uh he thought he could do it but i guess what he would end up doing is he found some spot in a c like was it a c3 there was some plane they were building there at the time that he found a little 
crevice in that he could go to sleep during the day. And yeah. they had no idea. No, and he kept getting away with that and uh, being paid as a junior engineer until one day he was uh, walking down the hall to get to the restroom and uh, a real engineer asked him to uh, calculate something for him and he, he was not successful <laughs> and he got taken straight to the personnel department to be oh. escorted out. <laughs> but he was collecting a paycheck and everything. That's fantastic. Yeah. so anyway making uh, your own luck it's beautiful yeah yeah i know that makes it sound like he's this con man some people don't like that but think about what he went through when he was in hiding i mean you basically have to become a con man when you're going through that nazi occupation you're in hiding you have to lie you don't even use your real name and it's like that was and even before he went into hiding, there was a lot of underhanded things you had to do uh, just dealing with the Nazi occupation. And um, so I kind of look at it as that. It was just that was just what he learned that and how he learned to live. And none of what he did as any kind of con or anything like that was really dangerous. You know, it none of it really was like the yeah. dancing thing. I mean, who's going to get hurt by that? He's not, he's not hurting anybody. Yeah, exactly. No, uh-uh. he's not hurting anybody. And, but growing uh, up in his era and then the things that he, he grew up seeing and, and everything, you had to be quick on your feet or you had to learn to be. And, uh, and yeah, that's just part of it. You know, when, when you, like you said, he had to lie, he had to change yeah. his name. He had to do all this kind of stuff. It probably just developed a skill for it without even thinking about it. And that's just, you know, yeah, right. Open yeah. doors for him. <laughs> so, so anyway, he it's it. There's a lot of great stories in it. I mean, I've like I know it, some people will say, "Oh, you've told the whole story." No, <laughs> I'm telling you, there are a lot of great stories in there that yeah. are very entertaining, very funny. So even though the World War II part, there are many parts that are not funny at all for World War II. Yeah, but um, in there, there's a lot of great funny gems as well. So in that regard it's not one of, like one of those world war ii depressing books it um it has a, a good outcome and it uh, it's got some amusing stories in it and uh and it tells the truth as a witness to the things that went on uh in a nazi occupied country yeah. Yeah. And he did find the love of his life after a while, too, out there in California, did he not? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so in yet another one of his crashes. <laughs> so he uh, now that makes it sound like he's not a good pilot. But remember, the <laughs> the previous two <laughs> crashes were uh, from that was before he was licensed. Right. So yeah. uh, and he continued to practice. But he eventually from California, some people he had met in texas came out to visit california and they asked him to be their chauffeur they were wealthy Mm -hmm. and so he was their chauffeur to show them around california and such and uh, they brought their daughter uh and they ended up getting um engaged (laughs) so hank has to move back to texas now this though is not who he ends up marrying um (laughs) so when he's in texas back at texas uh one of the things he becomes is a theater owner but that's uh, something else but he's still fixated on flying so he Mm -hmm. becomes a crop duster 
Oh, there you go. A lot of practice there. Sure. Yes. And yeah. crop dusters were crazy back then. So yeah. they, and the thing is, is there weren't really, <laughs> there wasn't much in the way of regulations on making sure the planes were safe and that kind of thing. Yeah. They were just, they just took these old World War II planes, you know, and retrofitted them with sure. these hoppers that were filled with, you know, uh, chemical poisons and stuff like that to dust over all the crops. And uh, so he became a crop duster and he would do all these crazy moves and all of that kind of thing. And anyway, so he had a, um, an engine fail on him and he crashes and he survives, but he is injured. And so he gets hauled off. That's actually the opening scene. <laughs> is it really? Okay. Yeah. And uh, he gets hauled off to a hospital. And but the funny thing is though, of course his family is like, will you stop flying now? You can see how dangerous this is. And he's, <laughs> there's just no way he was like, no, no I'm not going to stop flying. And uh, so he's looking as he's recuperating in the hospital, he's looking for flying jobs and he applies for a position with TWA as a pilot. And they were also looking for fighter pilot trainers, <laughs> fighter pilot trainers. Oh, <laughs> and uh, he's like a little crop duster. <laughs> right? And uh, so he, he does that and they get back to him and he ends up with a, a interview uh, about doing the fighter pilot training and the first guy who takes him up kind of has some reservations about it he's like i don't know how they fly in holland but uh, <laughs> this I'm is gonna, not it i'm gonna send you down to alabama and let them decide or mississippi wherever it was yeah. i'm gonna let them decide so he passes that first level and then like every level after that that's the last part of the story kind of before he meets uh, lola uh because he ends up breaking it off by the way with the girl from texas uh okay. it's that that was not going to work she was sort of a rich spoiled um uh, kind of person <laughs> so yeah we'll go with brett <laughs> yeah and so she, uh, anyway, so he uh, ends up going through all these levels of being tested to become a fighter pilot trainer. And he actually makes it. And I mean, even he was just totally shocked. He's like, <laughs> oh my gosh. And he like couldn't believe his luck. He was like, and, and he does feel a lot of it was lucky. He yeah. felt like it's because he could dance. And there's a good story about why he felt that. <laughs> and, uh, he felt like one of the testing levels was done by a Dutch guy. He goes, I think that's why I passed that test. Oh my gosh. And, and then he used to copy off of this guy that sat next to him, was who was the smart guy in class. And he used to In just the training? Like, yes, in <laughs> oh the written stuff. In the written <laughs> stuff. And uh, he, so, again, he just sort of squeaked his way through and but he managed to actually get there and when he did then he was absolutely determined to show that despite his kind of squeaking through the program that he was going to be their top trainer he, he deserved to be there and his yeah. first group was the top group in the in uh, the whole oh, wow. thing of yeah <laughs> so, you kind of wonder if he just learned a lot of the maneuvers and stuff doing the crop dusting like you said it was a lot of crazy stuff they would do and yeah <clears throat> that's something that an average pilot would have never it never even yeah. attempted and so. he didn't get instrument rated until um that thing that was when he first learned instrument rating yeah, was yeah. their instrument reading or whatever the flying instrument flying yeah the ifr yeah yeah ifr yeah. so that's the first time he ever did it was when he was trying 
out for this job. So, uh, so he was still kind of learning as he was going. And, uh, but he kept, you know, you also get the feeling that people just must have liked him. He I must like have him. Been. I've never met him. I like oh, yeah. him already. <laughs> yeah. So you, you just get the feeling all the way through that um, despite things going on, that he, that people just liked him and yeah. uh, wanted him to do well. It helps that he was very good looking too. He was. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. That, that always does help with almost everything. <laughs> yes, it does. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, it's while he, he is now working for this um, civilian contractor who is contracted by the air force uh, to do this training he did a lot of training of pilots for example for nato uh, but also some airline pilots and such he would train them and uh, he uh, um, uh, that was when he was getting bored and he wanted to meet women of course and so he decided to join a community theater group that it was going on in town this in alabama uh, this is in uh, Kinston, North Carolina. North Carolina, okay. Yeah, so now he's in Kinston, North Carolina, and this community theater was starting up. And he, from his experience in California, he just felt like the uh, that women who were in theater tended to be more outgoing, fun, funny, and that kind of thing. Uh, yeah. He in, enjoyed that type of woman. And so he thought he might find somebody fun to be with. And so he went to this theater and that was when he met Lola. And uh, they both ended up getting the lead. She got the female lead in the play. He got the male lead and he had to kiss her at the end of the play. It's a cute there story. you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah. it just sounds like a Barry Manilow song, you know, when he met Lola. And yeah, so it's just. And wow. he, yeah, and they eventually married and they were married all the way up until, uh, unfortunately, Hank passed away in 2017 uh, at the age of 90. Oh. And, uh, but Lola is still with us. She's 90 right now. And, uh, how she, is she doing? She, She's doing all right. Yeah, she's doing okay. And uh, I'm helping her write her story. So, oh, that's even better. Yeah. Yes. Uh -huh. yeah. So I'm writing her story right now. So, I th so what, what are the, um, well, I had so many questions in my head as you were going. Uh, so what, what is her story? Is her, is she from, is she from somewhere else too? or is She's she from, from North Carolina. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So she grew up there. And uh, yeah, so, she, you know, the main thing about her story is, well, later in life, she became a, a humorist and a, uh, you know, she did a lot of professional speaking and that kind of thing. And she was very funny. As a matter of fact, she won several comedy contests. And uh, so she's done great with comedy and humor and, and it's clean humor. Oh. And, uh, and so that's challenging to be really funny with clean humor. And In 2020, uh, you don't see that very often. So. No. Uh -uh. Yeah. And imagine her and the opening scene with her is her in a comedy contest. So she's in a comedy contest with all these young, because usually <laughs> the other people in a comedy contest are usually young people right there. Mm -hmm. And uh, young guys and stuff like that who leap up to the stage in a single bound. And uh, she's got a limp and she walks up there a little <laughs> bit slowly. But, you know, she still kills. And she won that contest. And that was in Hollywood. That was in Burbank, actually. So How long ago was, was this? 
Oh, when was that? That was back in, she was in her eighties then. So it was probably about seven years ago or something like that. Can you imagine though? Goodness gracious. Yeah. Being that, being that age and go out there and say, Sonny, I'm going to tell you a joke. You know, yeah. I think it's, that's just awesome. Yeah. And so she, she's really good. And yet she started out life challenged because she was born prematurely. And uh, she was only two and a half pounds when she was born. And then within the first few days, lost a pound. So she got down to a pound and a half. And her, basically the doctors told her parents that, you know, she wouldn't live, but more than a few weeks. And even if she did live, she would probably be severely disabled and would have to be taken care of in an institution or something. Yeah. She gotta, proved them wrong. And, you got to think and, about what year that was. I mean, that because they didn't, to... they did not have um, uh, incubators back then. Well, they yeah. had them; they did exist, but not the hospital she was in. So in North Carolina, they didn't have them, and so they just took their little tiny baby home and they set up a drawer. So the the first line of the second chapter is I started life in a dresser drawer. <laughs> so they set up a drawer with blankets in it and put her in there with heaters in a closet. And they just, just kept an eye on her and took care of her. That's and, incredible. And she ended up with a very weak, almost like a cerebral palsy kind of thing. So she was very weak on her left side and she had to have lots of surgeries to correct her foot and that kind of thing. But uh, she still through her life ended up having uh, uh, a limp most of her life. But I mean, her mother just made sure she got physical therapy constantly and just told her all the time you can do whatever you want and she did i mean she rode bicycles she did uh swimming which she could do swimming pretty well and that kind of thing but she did have a perceptible limp and yeah. uh yeah, yeah, she just sounds like the kind of person just like Hank that uh, you're not going to be dissuaded no matter what you know i've got a goal or i've got I've got a life to live here, you know, <laughs> get yeah. out of my way. You know? <laughs> yeah, right. And so, uh, yeah, so she, uh, so she had a nice little life. She had great parents. And uh, so that, that was very nice. And it uh, sounds like Kinston, North Carolina was a nice little town to grow up in. Uh, I used to very... live there, but I'm not sure where that is. I don't, I don't recognize that town. I used to live oh. in North Carolina, but. Yeah, I know it's not too far from Charlotte, I think. Oh, that may be. Yeah, I was in eastern North Carolina, so oh, okay. near Fayetteville. So yeah. Interesting. Yeah. She was yeah. specifically, she was from uh she grew up as a kid in Rocky Mount. You oh yeah, I know where Rocky Mount is. Sure. Kinston is where she met Hank, but uh she grew up in Rocky Mount. Yeah, I think that's just north of where I was. So oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. yeah. Very interesting. So when is that book gonna be done? Ah, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I'm start. still in kind of the early stages. Yeah, I only yeah. have like about, I don't know, 50 pages or something like that so Gosh, far. Gosh, it's writing a book has just got to be daunting if you've never done it before. I mean, yeah. I know you've done one now, but still, it just seems like climbing Mount Everest in a pair of flip flops. I mean, <laughs> it is. It really is. Yeah. I'm just surprised that there are so many millions of books out there. It's like, oh, that many people went through all this <laughs> writing I a know. book. 
It's amazing. My wife wife has wrote uh, two children's books and just that alone. I mean, they're only like 18 pages long, but mm. still it was like, there was a lot of back and forth with publishers and, and artists and I mean, just all kinds of stuff. So yeah, I just can't even imagine writing a book that would be for, for adult consumption that you would have to, uh, you know kind of go through people like Lynette, our previous guest. And she was, she, you know, she does all that copy editing and all that stuff. And that would be, yeah. 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 There's, there's a lot more to it than just sitting down at a computer and typing everything up and sending it off and having it done. So. Yeah. yeah. And it's amazing how, uh, how many times, for example, in private lucky, I had, I had to read through it to make sure there were no errors and I had three editors. So I paid one to do the whole book. I paid uh, Lynette to do a portion of a rewrite that because I rewrote a big portion of the book at some point. And so I felt like it needed to be re-edited. So I had her do that. And then the uh, book designer, they did an edit pass through it. And all of that there st- still was an error somewhere in it. There's at least two errors. <laughs> Is it really? Later came out. Yeah. And they're just the kind that it's real easy to just read right over it and not, yeah. and not catch it. Uh, so it is amazing how hard that can be. And those were professional editors. And yeah. Yeah. I was, I would imagine once you write it and look over it, it would be very easy because you know the story. It would be yeah. super easy for you yourself to, to just gloss over it. Right. You, you know what it's supposed to say. Yeah. 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 Wow. Wow. And it's the well, kind of thing that a spell check doesn't catch, you know, it's yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, grammatical or whatever, or just, you know, sometimes you put a word in front of, you know, they, they have, like memes I've seen where it's like, you know, they'll put two thes in a sentence and, you know, go back and read it. And and then you go through, it's like, holy cow, I didn't see that the first time. So yeah. 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 <laughs> so, incredible. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. So she's, uh, she's got a lot of good stories to, uh, to kind of keep you busy with all that too. Yeah, she does. And she, she's, I think it's even just helping her out as far as, um, I don't know, staying engaged because, you know, she's in a, an assisted living place now and you can't go visit her or anything, you know, either during the lockdown. And I think this is, that's being very hard on her. She real hard for her to have any kind of visitors and it's kind of giving her something to do. Um, she loves it when I'm asking questions about her life and that kind of thing. And, I get to hear more about her life and uh, so how do you talk to her? Is it over the phone or you, you yeah, just over the phone. Yeah. I heard uh, that's been very, very hard on a lot of elderly people that they can't see their family and they can't, you know, that depression really sets in very easily Yeah, when she got to be in her late in her uh, early eighties. I mean, it was like, there was all kinds of, you know, if I didn't talk to her every day, I mean, it was, it was, it was terrible for her. So, yeah. 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 And it's like, even the activities at the assisted living place, they, they're not doing the activities, uh, the dining room, they don't let them eat in the dining room anymore. They have to just eat in their room. So their food gets brought to them to their room and it's very isolating. I mean, it's like they're in solitary confinement Yeah, yeah. and, uh, <laughs> You just got to wonder when it's going to end. I know they said it's going to be a month to flatten the curve and then everything will go back to normal. And here we are. How many yeah. months later? Six, eight months later. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, maybe yeah. 
maybe at the end of the year, maybe everything will change, you know, but uh, yeah, I feel my heart goes out to some of these older people. I, I've got a friend from high school that her mother actually tested positive. Uh, yeah, but she's been completely asymptomatic. She's 90 something years old and she's. Wow. She's been asymptomatic. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. So, and you got to wonder how often that happens. I mean, for somebody that age, I would imagine that's not very common, but it, yeah. it, it is for her. And, and yeah, I mean, you just don't know. You just don't right. Know. Anyway, Hank, I get a lot of um, comments on Hank's book that it needs to be a movie, and that's probably the number one comment I get. And so I am always hoping that someday, sometime, that the right person reads it and uh, and agrees. <laughs> you, your husband works in Hollywood in 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 uh, a picture studio, correct? Yeah, but he's not kind of in that you know, place where he can yeah. help me too much with that. He's an audio engineer for Sony pictures. And oh, okay. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, it's, uh, I mean, I have actually talked to some, but I did talk to some higher level person at Sony and they said, you need to have an agent uh, oh, who is uh, managing the story. And uh, so I don't have an agent, at least not yet. And uh, so we'll, we'll see. Uh, and maybe if the right agent comes across it, maybe they'll do it for free and, uh, and you know, just to see it happen, you know, yeah. and, you know get their residuals at, on, on the back end of it. So, yeah, yeah. I see on your website, you have a place where they can uh, answer a survey about should it be a movie. Right. So, yeah. So go to privatelucky.com and uh, there's a place down there, uh, but you know, right, right towards the first third of the, the website. And it says, answer our survey about being <laughs> private lucky being made into a movie. Yeah, I think it'd be, a. I mean, I've seen a lot worse movies. I've seen movies with terrible uh, uh, storylines. Yes. This is a fantastic storyline. So I don't see why it wouldn't. Yes. I think, I think it would do, it would do well. Uh-huh. It's one of those that would be challenging because it's a sort of a long life thing you know starting from when he's a young teenager like 13 or so and yeah. um you know and then going till uh, you know when he gets married and everything so it's uh, but it's there's so many great stories in there it's just is so entertaining that i mean that's why people just say this has to be a movie <laughs> <laughs> you know, when they look at the choice of movies that are out there these days, it's like, this, this is really a great story. And it was real. It was a true story. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm just thinking they could have it like Martin Sheen sitting in a, in a, in a, uh, in a recliner chair and he's telling these stories and then all of a sudden everything pans back, you know, and they show the younger Hank and then the, the, the 20 ish Hank. And then, the, you know, as things, and then you just kind of like hit all these story parts, just like he's being interviewed or something. You know? Right. Yeah. yeah. Sounds like and Martin the, Sheen would be good. He's got the hair and he's got everything, you know? From the, yeah. I really would like uh, Tom Hanks to see this. Oh, and, there you uh, go. Yeah, I think I think that would Cause, be good. Because he's aged, he's aged very well like that too. I think that he would he would be a, a perfect, uh, yeah, role for something like that. Absolutely. Yeah, you, and you by the way, the book's available grace. also as an audio book now too. So we finally got the audio book done, and uh, the audio book is available on Audible. Chirp books. Uh, there's a number of distributors that have that the audiobook. Yeah, just search for Private Lucky, and you can get the book on Amazon and other the smaller books. book. You can get on Amazon and uh, through 
even through bookstores, you should be able to order it. It may not be on the shelf, but you can order it because it's yeah. available through Ingram Spark, which a lot of bookstores use to purchase books and that okay. kind of thing. So. Now they can order it off your website also? Yeah, uh, through the website. Yeah. Okay, uh-huh. cool, cool. PrivateLucky.com, right? PrivateLucky.com. So yeah, definitely check this book out. I mean, they're, they're, it's such a fantastic story. And and uh, and actually, I, I bought a copy from Melissa the last time we talked on a previous podcast, and it's and I've gotten through part of it. And, and you know, life has just been just crazy. So yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it, it, but it is riveting. Once you start, you don't want to put it down. But I, I forced myself to put it down because we had stuff going on. But yeah, <laughs> it, it, there's yeah. a... There's a lot to unwrap. I mean, it sounds like she gave away the farm here, but she's, you know, like she had said, she's just scratching the surface of a lot of these stories and 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 some of these uh, stories. Even even from what our previous podcast covered, we didn't even uh, cover a lot of that. So yeah, it, it's, let me talk about the name of the book. So people ask yeah. me, how did it come to be named that? So first of all, <laughs> lucky, right? So obvious from some of these stories that he was lucky, and in general. Uh, in my research and stuff, I found that uh, people who survived um, some horrific things in World War II, all the survivors all feel like they were lucky, you know, mm-hmm. because they saw millions of people die, you know, and, and so they just felt like the fact that they survived was lucky. Uh, so even in, in a general sense, that sure. came into play. Uh, private because he always laughed himself even about how he came, he went into the army as a private and came out as a private, even though somewhere in there he had gotten uh, promoted to private first class, uh, but he got demoted because the stripe for the PFC didn't fit his uniform correctly. He didn't like the way it fit his uniform. It was messing something up in his mind uh, to try and put that extra stripe on there. So he never put it on. Yeah. And so then he got called out on it. Like, why aren't you wearing your PFC stripe? And he says, well, it doesn't fit right. It doesn't look, you know, and he's trying to point it out to the guy. And the guy is like, unbelieving. He's just like, you are kidding me. And, uh, he goes, okay, you're, you're, you're a private again. You won't wear the PFC stripe. You're a private again. So he leaves the army as a private. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so. So, so he was kind of fussy about the way he looked, even as he got older. Yeah, right? his his mom had been fussy about their appearance as they grew up and yeah. was always fussing with how they looked and they, they had to be clean and everything had to be. And so he kind of grew up actually. Um kind of being that way he was always fussy about the way he looked and as a matter of fact i mean it, it's funny in the army he, he was kind of vain <laughs> he uh he, he li- i mean he liked the american army uniforms a lot but you know the the uh, privates uniforms where they were kind of just blah you know they, they were okay but they were a little bit blah a little bit baggy you know and so he loved the officers uniforms so what he would do is go get the fabric from an officer's uniform, but in the same color as the private's uniform. Ah. And he would have a, a tailor <laughs> custom make a uniform for him and fit to his body. Exactly. And so, you know, there he'd be lined up with all the other men and he's obviously also, you know, much more spiffy than the, all the other guys. And they would ask Gilbert. You know, looking sharp. What 
where'd you get that uniform? And he'd be like, standard issue, sir. <laughs> you know, that had to be expensive on a private salary back then. I mean, I can't even imagine. Uh, yeah, because he actually made a lot of money in the black market during the, well, after the war, actually. And uh, so him and his buddies, Ira, remember, they yeah. got this little black market thing going where they were actually making some pretty good money pushing cigarettes and things like that because they would you know they would collect the cigarettes from the guys who didn't want the cigarettes and they would sell them like because cigarettes were in short supply and so they would sell the cigarettes and they actually made some pretty good money and he ended up being the only one on the base with a car yes he had a car (laughs) he's a private with a car and even officers didn't have a car and And he turned down a promotion because it didn't look good on his uniform (laughs) yeah (laughs) so and and they would even give him a hard time about that because I mean, how could he have a car? Like they just thought for sure it was illegal. (laughs) And, uh, but he would prove that, you know, and he, the book explains how he kind of went through all those steps to legally have a car. And uh, (laughs) so. Oh my gosh. Another one of the many funny stories. He he knows how to get around the system. (laughs) He's he's very good with that. Yeah. So you got to buy this book. It's it's Private Lucky. Go to the website, privatelucky.com. Go to Amazon. Go to uh, Audible for the audio book. It's a fantastic story. This is a guy that I would love to have dinner with and uh, and maybe one day. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe one day when we all get together again. But uh, my guest today has been Melissa Gazetta. She's uh, she is the owner of the Computer Tutor, and and you said what was the website for that again? www.computertutortraining.com.com. So if you uh, need to brush up on your computer training, who could not? Uh, use some kind of brushing up, and uh, and she does cover all the all the Microsoft stuff, Microsoft stuff, yeah, Excel, Word, PowerPoint, Outlook. Excel just makes my brain just, yeah, I just just can't. I can do just about everything else, but yeah, for some reason, Excel is just beyond me. So, (laughs) (laughs) Melissa, thank you very much for being on. This has been fantastic. I I thank you for uh, for coming on. And when this turns into a movie, I'm confident that it will. I need you to come back. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. And when uh, and when Lola's book comes out, please let me know too. All right, got, I will. You've got my email, and uh, I, I would love to hear more about that. So. Okay. Great. Thanks. Right. Uh, well, I appreciate you on. having me on the show. Thanks. Thank and you. good luck with your podcast. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Have a great day. All right. You too. Thank you for listening to AM Coffee. Available everywhere you get your podcasts. For more information and archive shows, the website is amcoffee.us. If you'd like to email us, it's amcoffeepodcast at gmail.com. See you next week.